when you try me with a mediocre question, that's the result you're going to get. <laughs> uh, starting left fielder. Uh, Ichiro. No! God, please, no! No! There is some potential there if he would just, I don't know, use his brain. Um, <laughs> because, especially, I mean, come on, man. Jerry Depoto's the GM. Who the hell knows? out my window and this FedEx driver just hit a tree. You are no gentleman. And neither are you. Hey guys, welcome back to the Soto Mojo Podcast. This is Colby Patnode and I'm joined as always by Ty Gonzalez. However, today is a little bit special because we have Jason Churchill, Prospect Insider and Hero Sports, also of the Baseball Things Podcast, uh, which Ty and I are both subscribers. So before we jump into anything Mariners related, Jason, do you want to you want to plug your uh, your podcast? It's it's excellent. So uh, I'll give you this opportunity to let people know what is baseball things all about. Uh, we 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 really stick to Mariners baseball, but I'm branching out. I'm glad you asked. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Um, mm-hmm. Branching out a little bit more this spring into the college game. I'm uh, going to talk to some coaches and some players at the college level to kind of spread the love uh, at the college baseball level. It's um, if I had to pick it's probably my favorite level of baseball of organized baseball just because it's mm-hmm. um I, I think it's at its purest at least from the player standpoint so we're going to do a lot of that this spring and you know you can find it by going to baseballthingspod.com or just about anywhere that uh, stitcher itunes anywhere else that uh um that you can find podcasts the subscriber only podcasts are generally and strictly Mariners related when I do the college baseball stuff when I talk to coaches and players those are what I like to call the change-up episode and those are free for everybody so uh, there's something for everybody out there awesome yeah guys I, I subscribe Ty you're a subscriber too right yeah it's a uh, kind of a part of my weekly routine uh, just listening to Jason talking about all the stuff and Basically, you know, uh, take some of his thoughts and you know, maybe uh, <laughs> apply those to my own. <laughs> but he has great, he has great insight, you know, and it's a uh, it's a great time uh, listening to him each week. And uh, yeah, uh, def- I definitely one hundred percent recommend subscribing to it. Thanks, yep. guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. So, uh, Jason, I guess we'll start with the latest uh, bit of Mariner news here. Um, Kyle Seeger is going to be out for uh, four to six weeks. Uh, the Mariners seem to think it's going to be all of April, so uh, I guess we'll just assume that it will be. It's a uh, left-hand uh, ligament tear. So Kyle Seeger is going to be out for four to six weeks. Uh, the Mariners seem to think it's all of April, so we'll just go with that. Uh, so it's a right-hand ligament tear. Uh, he, has sur- he had surgery uh, today, I believe. So, uh, Jason, what do the Mariners do at third base? What are their options? I think we're going to see, I think the team's pretty much said this already, that Ryan Healy's going to get some time there. Uh, seeing him in games the rest of the spring is probably something we're going to have to get used to. Uh, and I actually suspect that it's going to it's going to head into May with his injury, just because mm-hmm. it's going to take a little, a little while for him to gain his strength back. We always hear mm-hmm. things about, well, it's going to heal in three or four weeks, and then he's going to start swinging. But we know with hands and fingers and wrists and things like that that it sometimes takes a little bit longer. And I think the Mariners are just going to be really careful with it. This is a pretty big year in in Kyle Seager's career. So I, I think they're going to be safe with it and make sure that he's really ready to go. So I'm thinking like mid-May at the earliest. But I think Ryan Healy is going to be the primary answer at, at third base. But I also think with Seager obviously going to be on the injured list, we're going to see maybe both of the utility players make the roster. Um, and I actually have it on good authority that 
one of the Mariners' top 25 prospects is making the 25-man roster, uh, at least to Tokyo. But mm-hmm. um, when we're talking Dylan Moore and we're talking Chris Negron, the utility players, you might see one of those guys make the team that otherwise wouldn't have if Seager were healthy just to give them another option at third base. Ultimately, Shed Long might be an option there, but he hasn't played a lot of third base. This whole idea that you just throw a guy into a position and he can be fine um, is some of the garbage that we hear around you know, the Twitter sphere. Uh, so to speak, but uh, he's going to need some time in, in, in Tacoma, not just in the field, but also with the play. But if he's going to be one of those guys who plays second, plays third, maybe plays a little outfield, he's going to need some time to not just get used to and get better at those positions, but actually get used to moving from position to position. Because uh, when you look at the rest of 2019, let, let's say in June you call up Shedlong because you think he's ready to go. His bat's ready. Uh, he looks good enough at third base. He looks good enough at, in left field. And, and, you know, he's at least serviceable at second base. Where's he going to play the most? Unless you're telling me D. Gordon was traded, Shedlong's probably going to play third and the outfield the most. So he's going to need to get ample time there and be ready to go. Second base is his thing. And you guys know uh, Shedlong's history. Uh, he's a catcher by trade. So he's spent the last three or four years learning second base uh, as it is. But I do ultimately think Shedlong will be an option uh, at third base, even when Kyle Seeger uh, comes back and is, is healthy. They're going to want to move Shedlong around. But I, I suspect early on while Seeger is out, it's going to be 80% Ryan Healy and then 20% one or both of the other utility players. Right. Uh, I, I guess I'll ask this because there seems to be some kind of at least some very limited uh, views on Twitter, which I know isn't the best uh, the best source for this type of thing. Uh, but I've had more than one pe- one person t- uh, more or less tell me that Ryan Healy will be fine at third base because he's played like 900 innings there. Can you just clarify how poor defensively is Ryan Healy at third base? Because I've seen nothing. I mean, he's a below average first baseman at best. Why mm-hmm. why why do people think he can play third? I think, and I think he can play third, just not well. I mean, he's not going to win any awards over there. You know, before you hit the record button, I was joking about Gold Glove, Ryan Healy at third base, and we all laughed because we all know that's ridiculous. I think Ryan Healy even knows that's ridiculous. Can he be serviceable there? I think it's borderline. Um, I think he's one of those guys who's probably going to field 98% of what he gets to. He's just not going to get to a whole lot. So a lot of the uh, below average part of it, or, or I'd say firmly below average, is going to be balls that he just doesn't get to plays that he doesn't make that don't necessarily turn up as errors. Um, whether that's an error on the scoreboard or you're watching and saying he should have made that play, whether the official score gave him an error or not. Um, it's going to be a lot of that, but, but I do think he's going to make, um, you know, a lot, a very high percentage of the, the standard play, the play that you want every player to make in the field, whether they're a first baseman, a third baseman, a shortstop, second baseman, doesn't matter. You even want the pitcher to field 98 to 100% of the balls that are hit right back to him. Healy's going to be able to do that. Um, it, like you or me, if we were out in the front yard right now and I, and, and, and I was hitting fungo to you guys, you guys would be fine, right? Those are the kinds of plays Ryan Healy absolutely can make. He's got a pretty strong arm. I just don't think we're going to see him making any of the... Uh, charging, field the ball with the the bare hand, make the accurate throw, get the quick runner at first base type plays. And lateral range-wise, he's about as limited as a below-average first baseman. So you guys' instincts on Healy are right, even though we haven't really seen him play third base much here in Seattle. Right. I, um, you know, just kind of reflecting back on when we did see him, when the Mariners played the athletics, um, you know, uh, 
he's not the most nimble on his feet, right? So it's it's you know looking at <laughs> it's I'm trying to say this in the nicest way possible. Ryan Healy is slow. <laughs> Ryan Healy, uh, I just I can't imagine. Uh, like you said, Jason, it, it, it's more so the plays that he just can't get to. It's not really the plays that he can't make. It's just is he going to be able to you know make a play you know kind of in between you know the short and third hole is he going to be able to charge you know uh you know a short hop to third is he and and i just and the answer is always no uh for me when thinking about that you know and you look at um just this time in, in oakland uh the uzr is not great uh it's I'm just, uh, I'm very, it's a, it's a massive downgrade, but this is one of those basic scouting report kind of a situations, you know, how quickly or lack thereof Ryan Healy moves laterally, you know, he doesn't have great hands, you know, he's not quick with his feet, you know, he's not a fast runner. None of these things add up to Ryan Healy being good over there. Ryan Healy's best friend that there's two things here that make this okay. Ryan Healy doesn't make a lot of errors. Just don't make the mistakes on the plays that you should make. Because nobody's expecting Ryan Healy to be anywhere near Kyle Seeger over there at third base. Just don't make a bunch of mistakes. Don't throw the ball into the stands. Don't force a throw on a slow roller. Uh, Don't get too aggressive. You know, just be sure-handed, that sort of thing. And two, Manny Acta is Ryan Healy's best friend right now. Because Manny Acta is going to have to put Ryan Healy in the right spot every time for Ryan Healy not to be a terrible defensive third baseman when it comes to those defensive metrics. His DRS might be minus five in a month if Acta doesn't help him out. But Acta's really good at that. The Mariners are actually very adept at uh, positioning their infielders correctly, especially on the corners. And uh, Manny Acta's the, the reason for that. So if I'm Ryan Healy, I'm hanging out with Manny Acta all day long, 24-7, while I'm playing third base. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So before we move on from uh, third base, I do want to ask about the two uh, utility players. Uh, Ty's actually a pretty big fan of Dylan Moore. Um, obviously him and Christopher Negron have kind of been battling the back and forth. You said you think both of these guys are going to make the, the, it's just the opening day. Japan I think it's roster. possible that both of those guys make it just to give Seattle another option at third base. Otherwise it, you're kind of stuck. Like, you know, what happens if, um, uh, because JP Crawford's not going to make the club. So the only other shortstop on the team is going to be one of those two utility players. So in a scenario where they choose Chris Negron and option, uh, Dylan Moore back to Tacoma, um, you know, one of the first couple of weeks of the season, you're probably going to want to sit Tim Beckham and start Chris Negron. Then what happens at third base if you need to do something different? Then you're you're kind of stuck. And then you're like, okay, now I can't give Tim Beckham the day off because now I got to use him at shortstop so I can move Negron to third base. And because both of those guys are kind of adept at playing the outfield as well, and both of them run pretty well, and Dylan Moore does have a better bat. So if you're, a fav- uh, if you're in favor of Dylan Moore over Chris Negron, you're probably right in terms of long-term talent. There's more power there. But I, I-, I could see a scenario where the Mariners decide, we have 28 spots. We only need 10 arms. We don't need to take 11 arms. We're going to take an extra outfielder. That's a hint for you guys, by the way. We're going to take an extra outfielder, even though we don't necessarily need to. But we could probably use both of these utility guys. And not just in Japan, but early in the year while Kyle Seager is out. So, again, does Dylan Moore have any options remaining? Uh, I saw somebody say he didn't. I saw somebody say he did. I I believe he does have an option, does he not? He he does. 
Uh, he does have uh, uh, one option left, and Negron does not. So okay, that could yeah. be the deciding factor if the Mariners end up choosing between the two. Um, but I also think it's interesting. It's an interesting time of year because while other clubs are still looking at players and like, okay, what do I think about this guy? What do I think about this guy? The Mariners might have an opportunity to squeeze a guy through waivers that otherwise wouldn't make it. So if they want to keep more and not Negron and try to squeeze Negron through waivers so they can keep him in Tacoma – they might have the opportunity to do that. Now, Negron's going to have some control because he's been outrighted before. Uh, so if they try to do something with the 40-man roster, um, he might be able to become a free agent. But knowing that he's probably going to have a chance to come up and play second, short, third in the outfield at some point this year, they might have a chance to keep Negron even if they choose Dylan more early in the year. Well, yeah, and you think about sneaking Negron through waivers. I mean, how many teams are really going to be interested in Chris Negron? Especially sure. at this and, time. And it's the right time to do that. And then the Mariners are in kind of a funky situation where everybody else is on a different timetable. Mm-hmm. On the 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st, the Mariners are in Tokyo getting ready to play a regular season game. So they're going to make those decisions in the next like 24 to 48 hours if they haven't already. While other teams are, you know, a week and a half, two weeks away from making those decisions and they want to get a look at their own guys first. So there's no time for them to go, hey, I'm going to pick up Negron and look at both of these guys. They're running out of games and they have their own players already in place. So unless there's a club out there that's really desperate, they run into some injuries at second base or shortstop, probably multiple injuries, you probably be able to get Negron through waivers. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, I think that's a, that's a good uh, 10, 15 minutes on the third base situation. Let's go ahead and let's transition to what Jason does best, which is uh, – Looking at prospects and scouting. Eat pizza? Uh, oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> I, I'll go toe for t- I'll go toe to toe with you on pizza eating. So uh, cool. We should nope. do that because guys, I'm telling you, um, I'm I'm a little bit of a health nut these days because I'm getting old. But I will put away some pizza. So we should do that. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. So uh, there's we have a list of about uh, five or six guys uh, prospects who have been in big league camp, and we just want to get your impressions on a few of them. Uh, you talked about Shedlong uh, earlier. Um, this is—I'm assuming this is your first chance to really get eyes on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what have you seen from Shedlong that makes you optimistic that he can be a contributor uh, to the Mariners in the near future? I actually saw Long back in A ball three or four years ago for about six at bats, and he's unrecognizable now because the swing is aggressive. Uh, and that's really important for him because he's not a big guy. And, and this has been the conversation surrounding Shedlong since long before the Mariners acquired him. But that that's kind of the flavor you're getting with, with Shedlong. You're getting an undersized guy who has a big swing and can reduce some pop. He's probably not a guy that's going to hit 20 or 30 bombs, but he's probably a guy that can hit 15 bombs and load up on doubles. The question with Long really isn't even the position anymore. Since he's willing and probably capable of playing a little second, playing a little third, playing a little left or right field, uh, maybe even playing center field. I'm not even sure he can't play center field if you gave him enough time out there. He's certainly athletic enough and certainly has the arm to do it. At the plate, it's about can he make enough contact against big league pitching? So AAA is going to be a challenge for him. So I'm, uh, I'm curious to see how he does early in the year when the weather's cold and the pitchers have the advantage and he hasn't seen any of these guys down in the PCL to kind of see how he adjusts because there's a good chance he might start the season off as like a, he goes three for 19 with eight strikeouts and people are like, whoa, what's going on with Shed Long? And does he start reading those press clippings and uh, get in his own head or can he battle out of that? Because he's going to face better pitching than he's ever faced before. And the same thing is... Uh, True for Braden Bishop and Jake Fraley. And as those guys move up, 
And how do they deal with that? Um, and when you jump from A ball to double A and sometimes double A to triple A, you're not just moving up with the pitchers that are moving up with you. You're actually moving up a little slower. Um, a lot of times those pitchers, once they get to A ball and double A, they take that next jump sooner than hitters do. It just takes a little longer mm-hmm. for uh, clubs to evaluate how a hitter's doing. So Shedlong is going to get to triple A and not really face the guys that he faced in double A or A ball the previous two years, he's going to face new guys. And now that Long's in a different organization, he's going to play in the PCL for the first time. Uh, you could say the same thing if you send Shed Long to another double A league that he hasn't played in. You're going to see a bunch of different guys that are coached differently in different organizations. And there's always an adjustment to make. And a lot of times when you get to the triple A level, these guys, while they're not necessarily big league arms yet, they're guys that have three pitches, that command at least two of them, sometimes three of them. There are a lot more change-ups in AAA that you have to worry about. So AAA is a big test for some of these kids that are going to hit AAA for the first time uh, this season. I expect Shed Long to go through a little bit of an adjustment period. But in the long run, I think Jerry DePoto is looking at Long as a guy who maybe he's the second baseman long-term. Maybe he's the third baseman long-term. Or maybe he's just a guy who continues to move around like a Marwin Gonzalez, even though Shedlong's not going to play shortstop, and is valuable because he can hit. And that upside is certainly there. And I'd be surprised if he didn't play 50, 60, 100 games at the big league level this year. Wow. Uh, Ty, what, uh, you're a big Shedlong fan. What do you see? Or what do you like, at least? Yeah, I, um, I'm very intrigued about what... Um, you know how they're going to utilize him in the field uh in triple a you know where are they gonna where they're gonna put him are they gonna give him um you know time at one position uh prominently or are they going to keep on moving him around like they've been doing this spring um because that's kind of uh the question right with him is is he gonna stick somewhere or is as jason said is he gonna be kind of you know moving around all the time like uh like marwin gonzalez um but yeah when i see him i you know i like the um I like the aggressiveness at the plate. Um, really nice swing. A lot of generates a lot of bat speed, um, which uh, is is something that I I didn't initially expect, especially from someone his size. Um, but he uh, generates a lot of power from that bat speed. In that, um, uh, it's 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 impressive. the The bat looks uh, looks fairly advanced for what I've seen. Uh, obviously, I'm not, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm not as uh, intelligent in this department as as Jason is, uh, but I, you know, just looking at it from from my test, it's it's more impressive than I expected, and um, I'm I'm very interested to see how that plays at AAA and see see how um, you know where his development uh, kind of comes to to the point where he's ready enough to to play major league games. I think one of the things that, that I get concerned about when I watch tape on, on Shed Long and I talk to scouts about Shed Long uh, and the few at-bats that I've seen of him uh, this spring, uh, he generally has sprayed the ball around, at least from, from left center field to the right field line. And sometimes with, with at least gap power, sometimes even home run power, my, my, my concern is about his ability to be able to maintain that against better pitching. When you get to AAA and you get to the big leagues, you're going to face pitchers who, not, again, not only, like I said before, have the three pitches now instead of two or have the, the two pitches instead of one or command two pitches instead of one. They also can pitch effectively all over the strike zone. 
So ultimately, uh, he's given up a little bit of contact for power to generate that bat speed with the big leg kick and a lot of effort. Um, so ultimately, I- I'm concerned that his power may be pull only, and he might need to be a little bit more disciplined with his swing to be able to hit for any average at the big league level. He is selling out a little bit uh, for power, which gives him more value, which is one of the reasons why the Reds liked him, which is one of the reasons why the Yankees liked him, and certainly one of the reasons why Jerry Depoto likes him. But at some point, you got to hit for some average, too. You can't get to the big leagues. And if you're shed long playing second, third, and left field and hit like Mike Zanino in a bad year, um, he's going to have to hit for some average. There's going to have to be more contact there than um, what that swing would traditionally project to. But we'll see what, kind of, uh, what kinds of adjustments uh, he can make. Uh, I do suspect there's going to be some swing and miss problems. Can he produce enough power to offset that and still hit for enough average? You know, we'll see. But I think right now that that's probably the big question around Shed Long. How good of a hitter is he actually in the end? Yeah, I am um, looking at his plate approach, though. It seems like he has solid on base skills, at least. Um, you know, hopefully that continues to play. Of course, as you said, you know, the, uh, the tougher pitching is going to have a great effect mm-hmm. on that. So um, is and those that arms aren't going to be afraid of him. There were some double yeah. A arms and some A ball arms were like, I know he's only five nine or five ten or however tall you want to say Shed Long is, but he's gonna hit the ball out of the ballpark if I make a mistake. Triple A mm-hmm. pitchers and certainly big league pitchers are not going to be afraid of that. They're going mm-hmm. to challenge him with ninety-seven. They're gonna challenge him with nasty changeups, they're gonna challenge him with sliders and curveballs he's never seen before. What happens then? So we'll see if it translates, but he's probably going to have to make some adjustments to uh, to hold on to some of the production that he's put up so far on the minors. So uh, let's jump over to uh, the outfield. Let's talk about Jake Fraley a little bit. Certainly the spring training numbers are great, but as we all know, the numbers in spring training don't really mean much. Mean much. So Jason, what are you seeing from Jake Fraley here in his first uh, camp with the Mariners? I think the one thing that stands out uh, to me, he's a lot stronger than I expected. When I went calling around about him when the the Mariners made the deal to acquire him, the idea was that he was a speed and defense guy that needed to hit uh, ground balls and line drives and needed to learn to take a walk. I'm seeing a lot more strength there and and almost a little bit like Shed Long. He's he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's built like a truck. Um, And and I see a a swing plane and enough bat speed where you could be looking at, uh, in terms of a power profile, um, a little bit of Cole Calhoun. And if Fraley can continue to work counts and play defense and run bases and add 12, 15 home run power, he's going to be a really good extra outfielder in major league baseball. He's an above average to plus defender has a pretty good arm. You can stick him in any of the three spots. Um, I I think there's enough pop there. I'm actually a little bit more bullish uh, in terms of confidence in Jake Fraley hitting what I see his ceiling as than I am shed long, even though the payoff for shed long is, uh, is quite a bit bigger, but there are some similarities there there's more pop there than, than Fraley's being given credit for the swing allows for it. Um, we'll just see if he kind of learns how to work himself into those counts where he can let it fly and take advantage of the power that he does have instead of just simply trying to hit line drives all day long. There's more pop there than, than the numbers suggest, uh, in the minors. And he showed that this spring, he's hit some balls really, really hard. The, uh, the, the TrackMan folks are all over the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League, just gathering data, trying out new things. And uh, a buddy of mine, Derek, who has been with TrackMan for about eight years now, told me the other day that uh, 
the Mariners have one of the most interesting spin rate off the bat metrics. Now, what that actually means in the end, I don't know. So as we were talking about that, I just started to ask him about, you know, hey, you got any really cool, uh, you know, uh, exit velocity numbers for me? And he started telling me about Jorge Soler and and a couple other guys. And he mentioned Jake Fraley was the guy that stood out to him uh, in, in Mariners camp. And, and they weren't taking diligent every single ball off the bat every single game of the spring. It was relatively random, but they'll go through an entire game and, and, uh, and take exit velocity and, and take the spin off the bat and how long the ball was in the air and uh, things of that nature with pitches and, and, and throws from shortstop and things like that, which are really interesting, which gives me a lot more confidence in J.P. Crawford's ability to play shortstop long-term, by the way. But Jake Fraley came up, and, and I thought that was really interesting, and I wish I had that information before I wrote my scouting report on on Fraley for the uh, for the top 25. He's a really interesting guy. I, I don't know that he's ever going to end up being an everyday player. I, I don't think that's what I see, but a really useful kind of Peter Borjos you know, in his prime, uh, a kind of a way to get a guy into the lineup. He's a left-handed batter. He can hit nine. He can hit one. Uh, he's going to make contact. He can handle the bat. There's just a lot of ways that that uh, he can kind of avoid hurting you as a as a reserve. And a lot of times in, in baseball, even the best teams in the league, their reserve players actually hurt them and end up with negative mm-hmm. wins above replacement. And trying to avoid that is very difficult and ultimately ends up costing money and if you have that in young players, you end up saving a lot of money and being better on the field for an age. Jake Fraley could be uh, could be one of those players. Braden Bishop could also be one of those players for the Mariners. Right. Just uh, real, real quick on Fraley, uh, when I watch, and again, I'm not watching, I can't watch every single game, but when I see Fraley, um, I know about the defense, I know about the speed and all that stuff. Is the bat similar in terms of a potential slash line? Is it similar to like what Ben Gamble gave the Mariners the last couple of years? Kind of that fourth outfielder, a little bit of pop, more of a line drive type of swing. Is there some similarities there in terms of production possibility? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I think Fraley's probably a year away from being capable of doing what Gamble did probably two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the upside is similar. I think maybe Fraley has more upside um, only because when you're trying to put together what what the role Fraley might play, um, I think we already know what that is. Um, with Ben Gamble, it was... Wow, the the actual raw strength and the swing plane that Ben Gamble brings to the table, that guy could eight, it could hit 18 or 20 home runs. Now, it's pretty clear he's not going to be able to do that um, because the bat speed just really isn't there, and he's never really been able to make that adjustment. But it, Fraley, yeah, I, I think he's a guy who, you know, we could look up in two or three years, and he's 260, 330, 400, and, and getting 300 at-bats a year in the Guillermo Heredia role. Uh, as a much uh, much uh, bigger piece of you know what a team is trying to do on the field in terms of trying to win games, uh, you know, Heredia was kind of filler, and the Mariners kind of hoped he would turn out to be something. But uh, Fraley's a lot more gifted than a guy like Guillermo Heredia, and I think uh, a little bit more of a sure thing to become something useful on a regular basis than even Ben Gamble was. Uh, but yeah, that, I think there are some similarities there. Absolutely. So, what do you make of this uh, this idea that Fraley has kind of played himself into an interesting position as Jerry uh, DePoto sa- uh, said it. Yeah. He's not making the big club. Uh, no. He's not going to Tokyo. And unless there are a couple of injuries, he's not even the first guy called up from, from AAA. Uh, right, Braden right. Bishop's going to be that guy. And there's a pretty good chance that they take Braden Bishop at least to Tokyo with him until Malik Smith is, uh, is ready to go. 
Fraley's probably the next guy in line, but I still think Fraley probably starts the year in double A. Um, that's what I keep hearing. They're going to keep Miller in, uh, in triple A and Fraley's going to go to double A and play in that outfield with, uh, with guys like Kyle Lewis, uh, which is obviously a lot of fun, but, uh, he has done enough this spring and not just the numbers because you know how spring training stats are, but in terms of how he's working himself into hitter scouts, how he's handling pitchers pitches, how he's handling velocity, um, you know, what he's seeing and the things that he's saying to his teammates and kind of how he's soaking it all in. I think he set himself up to, 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 to at least at some point in 2019, give himself a chance to see the big leagues. Now he's going to have to perform in double A and then triple A to, to be able to do that. But um, I don't think anybody really has a whole lot of question whether he can hit double A pitching and ultimately triple A pitching. And if he's a reserve, if he's an extra guy, um, you're not really worried about him tearing it up for a long period of time. You're like, is he going to embarrass himself? Is he showing that he can hit 96 in double A AA and triple A? Well, when we call him up to use him as a fourth or fifth outfielder, I guess he can handle that job too, uh, even in the big league. So um, it, he obviously has kind of cha- I don't want to say changed because I think when you acquire a player, uh, you already liked him. There was something you liked about him. And instead of projecting him right then and there, you kind of wait to see what you have. Because every club is different, how they train is different, how they develop is different, and you want to see that new player kind of go through a spring training or a month of games or a bunch of practices and games, whatever it might be, before you kind of say, hey, you know what, here's what I see in that guy. So uh, Fraley probably has changed. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. He, I think he's changed Jerry Depoto's mind about him a little bit because mm-hmm. he's been impressive this spring and, and handling things. And there's a level of maturity there, too. That becomes important. This is a youngish team, but it's not uh, its not a bunch of 20 to 22-year-olds at this point. Um, but there are some players that probably ultimately move on and open up some playing time in the next year or two, potentially for Braden Bishop, potentially for Jake Fraley, potentially for Shed Long. And he certainly worked himself into a, uh, into a position to get some time to prove that maybe, maybe there's a chance he can be a little bit more than a part-time player. So uh, just before we move on to uh, our next prospect, I do want to ask because uh, Ty and I, we talk a lot and we kind of have these, uh, I don't know, I don't want to call them prospect battles, but kind of like unspoken guys that we claim. Uh, I know Ty's a really big fan of Jake Fraley. And Mm -hmm. as for me, I was a big fan of uh, Dom Thompson Williams. Um, So I I guess I'll ask you uh, if you had to pick one guy to, to, you know, this who has the highest upside to contribute at the major league level? Do you think right now, is it uh, Williams or is it Thompson Williams or is it uh, Fraley? I'm going with Thompson Williams here because I am an upside guy. I, I think when you're putting together potential assets for the future, you're trying to score the big lottery ticket or as close to the big lottery ticket as you can. You'd rather have a $25 winner than an $8 winner. If I told you right now, here's an $8 winner, a scratch ticket, but here's a 15 or 20% chance that you could have a $50 winner. You're probably going to say $8. I can get that anywhere. You know, I, I make that in a half an hour. I make that in 10 minutes or I make that, you know, you know, in my sleep, um, you're going to take the shot at the $50 winner, the hundred dollar winner. And, and that's kind of how I look at, at putting together even a farm system is if I have a chance at an everyday center fielder, 
in Dom Thompson Williams, who could go 280, 350, 450, I'm taking that chance. And because the upside is greater, I'm taking Dom Thompson Williams every day. My number 25 prospect this year was really difficult to come up with. And it ended up being a player that nobody has really ever heard of, but that kept popping up in conversations as a guy, hey, watch out for this guy. Like he isn't anything now, but here's what I saw in Michael Pineda 10 years ago. Here's what Luis Baez actually could be in 10 years. Um, so I, I fall for that because, you know, it's really, really easy to go out and find the way to belong to the world. It's mm-hmm. relatively easy to go out and find, you know, fourth and fifth outfielders or, you know, below league average starting left field. Ben Gamble is really easy to find. It's not easy to find Andrew McCutcheon or, you know, just the average regular in major league baseball, really at any position, it's not easy to find that. So take as many shots as you can to find that average regular, to find the unique player, to find the catcher, the shortstop, uh, the pitcher that throws 98, that has a chance to be a number one. Even though the risk is pretty high that he doesn't turn out to be anything, you take that risk. I mean, if you're telling me right now, I had to take Dom Thompson-Williams or Jake Fraley, I'm not even thinking twice. It's Dom Thompson-Williams because of the upside there. And, and most of that is in the power. Now, there's some risk there. I gave him a 5-5 on my probability uh, score with a 50 upside because I think he could be a 280, 350, 450 outfielder. Not 100% sure he sticks in center field, but there's a chance. I'm certainly not 100% sure that he ends up hitting 18 or 20 home runs a year, but there's a chance. So I'm taking that chance, and I, I'm adding that guy to my system You know, every day of the week, twice on game day. And while I like Jake Fraley, uh, there's a pretty big advantage uh, with Dom Thompson-Williams in terms of upside. If both guys reach their upside – Dom Thompson Williams is an everyday guy, and I don't know that Jake Fraley is. Ty, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I kind of wanted to ask you um, because there's been a few pro comps that have been thrown out about uh, Dom Thompson Williams. You know, I've heard uh, Michael Brantley, I've heard uh, Aaron Hicks. What's kind of a what's kind of a guy that you liken liken him to? Brantley's a pretty good one, but I, I kind of feel like Brantley, the, the one thing about Brantley that pushes me away from that uh, particular comp with, with Thompson Williams is that Brantley's a hitter. Like it, coming up, he was always a guy that was, boy, he's hitting 300. He's just lacing out line drives and in a bunch of doubles and the power that he does get to is natural. Thompson Williams has to like, it's by design. The fact that he hit for power last year and hit over 20 home runs at two stops in the Myers last year was by design. So he was probably sacrificing a little something in the, in the contact and batting average and on base department. So he could hit for more power and show clubs and show the Yankees at the time. Um, you know, Hey, you know, here's what I got. Uh, I'm better than what I showed last year. I'm a different player. And he changed his profile. And at 23 years old, you know, that's why he still has an ETA of 2021, but he moved up, you know, quite a ways in, uh, uh, in the minds of a lot of uh, talent evaluators and a lot of scouts because he showed that he could hit, hit for power. Now, I don't know that there's a, a perfect comp for Dom Thompson Williams, but he, he actually, now don't think of the athlete here, but think of the, think of the hitter. Think of the, the the power. Think of Melky Cabrera. Think of a guy who, if mm-hmm. everything works out, has a chance to hit 280 to 300. Is probably going to get on base some, but not a 40% on base guy. Is going to hit for some power, but not going to hit 30 home runs. And in his heyday, could probably play a pretty good outfield. Now, Melky Cabrera got away from the athleticism really, really quick in his career. But if you look back to the 25 to 27-year-old Melky Cabrera, Maybe that's what we're looking at, Don Thompson-Williams. He's a lot more athletic and probably likely to stay more athletic 
than Melky Cabrera, but just as a hitter in terms of the kinds of numbers that he could put up, I see Cabrera more than I see Michael Brantley because I think it's going to be based on um, juicing it up a little bit. He and Shed Long are actually fairly similar. Long's just about a year, year and a half ahead uh, in terms of ETA toward the big leagues. Right. Right on. So uh, let's jump ahead to um, Kyle Lewis, who is really making waves at spring training. Um, you know, I, I guess the question is uh, for Kyle Lewis, is this just, are we just seeing a healthy former first round pick doing what he, what he's always been capable mm. of doing? Or are there some kind of mechanical changes maybe in his swing or like, or is it a little bit of both? What, what's the deal with Kyle Lewis? I think he's got a clear head. I think he feels really good about where he's at physically right now. And he can just go out there and play ball instead of worrying about, Hey, am I going to get hurt again? Am I going to play tomorrow or playing three days and then taking two off? It was a lot of that the last couple of years. Um, some of the mechanical changes he made last year, um, a much more abbreviated, uh, load with his hands, uh, than before. And he made that change last year. The leg kick is, uh, he's killed that a little bit. Um, uh, so that's actually important in terms of his timing, get to a point where your timing is good and you can leave your leg kick alone. If, if your timing seems to be off and, and a guy throws you 94 middle away and you have a problem hitting that ball hard to center field, maybe your timing is off. So maybe mess with the leg kick a little bit. And they seem to have figured that out last year as well. Now, again, he was playing so sporadically last year in terms of, uh, you get a guy that's 22, 23 years old and he's used to playing every day. And then all of a sudden he's playing two days and he's taking a day off. He's playing three days and he's taking two days off. And then he's playing five days in a row. And then he goes on the seven day, you know, disabled list. It, 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 everything was just so kind of back and forth and choppy for Kyle Lewis. I can't imagine what kind of like mental approach he had uh, to the game. I, it just, it, it couldn't have been healthy. Um, it, and I just see a guy out there who's just comfortable in everything that he's doing. Everything is comfortable. Even when he looked a little bit overmatched in, uh, I think it was one of his uh, bats in the, uh, in the Cleveland game, the Felix start, I think it was, um, even striking out, he looked like he was on it. He looked like he understood everything that was going on. He didn't look completely overmatched in terms of, yeah, get him out of here and send him back to double a, it was, man, that was a really good slider. And he almost really had no choice, but to protect the plate, it was two, two or whatever it was. So it, it looks like he belongs now. And I think he's just really, really comfortable. And that allows a guy's tools to take over. And we're obviously talking about a guy who above average runner, uh, plus arm plus power and really just needs to play and kind of learn how to hit over the next year or two. I have no doubt that if he's healthy, Kyle Lewis is a big leaguer. What exactly we see from Kyle Lewis on a regular basis once he gets to the big leagues, I'm not really sure yet. But I think my best comp for Kyle Lewis right now is Mitch Hanniger, which would actually be welcome. Certainly, Mitch Hanniger's turned out to be uh, every bit the player that everybody hoped he'd be out of the draft probably better than most Mariner fans thought he'd be when the Mariners made that deal with Ty Walker and getting Segura and, uh, and Mitch Haniger. But uh, I see that kind of a future for Kyle Lewis, stick him in a corner, leave him alone, get him out of center field, mitigate his injury risk. Don't ask him to steal bases. Just ask him to hit. And I think he gets to the big leagues inside of a year and a half. And uh, is a really fun guy to have around. Ty, um, how do you feel about uh, hearing a Mitch Haniger comp on Kyle Lewis? That's uh, that's one that I haven't heard before, and uh, that's that's one that I I welcome with open arms. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times, guys, the, the comps are thrown around, and people are trying to find like style 
Right. But I'm trying to find like a role. And that's why Melky Cabrera came up when we were talking about Dom Thompson. I'm I'm thinking of a, a role that a guy plays and a value that he brings instead of, yeah, this guy reminds me of this guy. I'm looking right. at a sh- at like data. I'm looking at a sheet of paper. Here's what I think Kyle Lewis can do. What does that remind me of? What does the defensive value remind me of? What does the batting average and on base and the slugging and 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 the base running? What does that remind me of? And it's all Mitch Haniger. Yeah, yeah. Thinking back on it now, it, it, yeah, it does. He does remind me a lot of of Mitch. Just like looking at, um, looking at production, looking at kind of just similar situation. It's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of that kind of points into that into that direction. It's just so. In terms of tools, uh, we're talking on Lewis. Are we talking sixty grade power? Are we talking? 65. I've been at 65 raw power. Mm-hmm. Now, what we see in games generally right. never actually maxes out. I mean, very few guys entirely max out their power. Aaron Judge certainly did. Mike Trout certainly did. Giancarlo Stanton certainly did. But uh, for the most part, unless it's a superstar player we're talking about, they probably left a little in the batting cage in terms right. of power. But I see no reason Kyle Lewis can't get to 25 plus home runs, maybe even 30. I think if, if there's one advantage tools wise that he has over a player like Mitch Haniger, it's the raw power. I think Haniger is probably 60 raw power. And I think Kyle Lewis is probably 65, maybe even higher. Uh, these days, you know, a, a guy with 70 raw power is in 35 or 40 home runs. Is it really that far out of whack to think that a guy like Kyle Lewis with that kind of raw power, that kind of bat speed could hit 35 home runs in his prime? I don't think it's that far out. Jason Bay hit 35 home runs in a year for crying out loud. <laughs> and, and, and nobody was thinking he, he had 70 power. So uh, there are a lot of ways that a guy like Kyle Lewis could get to uh, putting up 70 game power. Um, you know, and one of them is just, you know, cleaning things up, becoming a better hitter. That's why Mitch Haniger hits 25 to 30 home runs a year. It's not because he has so much raw power. It's because he makes so much hard contact. Some are mm-hmm. just going to leave the yard. You know, yeah. I mean, most of them are line drives anyway. He doesn't really hit the ball that high. And you know, he doesn't get the trajectory under Kyle Lewis is going to hit some towering Nelson Cruz kind of shots, but uh, very similar players in the end. Uh, if if Haniger has an advantage over Kyle Lewis, it, it's probably the strikeout rate. I think Kyle Lewis is probably going to swing a little bigger and maybe swing and miss just a little bit more. Um, at least in Haniger has the last couple of years, but uh, very similar outputs. Uh, three four win players. Um, and fought the all-star there when, when he was drafted. I still think there's a chance that he is. Now, remember when he was drafted, boy, if he can stick in center field, that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Um, I've yeah. been told that the Mariners are going to limit his center field um, games this year. Like he, He's going to play there a little just to make sure that it's still an option and he can play a lot of left and a lot of right because now they're starting to, to kind of foreshadow his role at the big league level. And with Malik Smith under control for four years and a guy like Braden Bishop and guys like Jake Braley and Dom Thompson-Williams, um, you're at a point now where you're really never going to play Kyle Lewis in center field over any of those guys. So right. if all those guys end up being big league capable, Kyle Lewis is your left fielder or Kyle Lewis is your right fielder. If Hanniger stays around, Kyle Lewis is your left fielder. So perfect kind of scenario here for Kyle Lewis is there's an outfield in a year or two of Malik Smith and center and then Hanniger and right and Kyle Lewis and left. So I want to ask you this real quick, since uh, you know, you're talking about the future of the outfield. Um, do you think there is any way that Domingo Santana can stick past this year, whether it be DH, whether it be first base? 
Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I do. If, if he has a, a good but not great year and the Mariners don't land somebody else to take his spot, like if Kyle Lewis doesn't like tear up double A and then go to the PCL and embarrass the league, you, you see what I'm saying? Like if it's organic or like a player kind of falls in their lap, maybe Santana ends up being the DH, but I think he's the left fielder probably for the next two years. If I had to bet, he would be the player I would bet on. I don't think there's anybody else in the organization right now that's more likely to be a regular left fielder than Domingo Santana. And I realize he's not great out there. He's certainly not Nelson Cruz out there, but he's not great out there. Uh, I, I think right now the idea with Domingo Santana is to buy the Mariners time rather than, Hey, let's, let's get Domingo Santana for dirt cheap because they did after an off year where he was hurt a little bit and didn't perform that well, get him back to two sixty three thirty with 30 home runs and then trade him. That's a possibility, but I don't think that's the plan. I think the plan is we need some guys that are entering their prime or in their prime because we'd like to start winning a little bit in 2020 and we'd like to compete for a playoff spot in 2021. And we'd like to win the world series in, in, uh, in 2022 and Domingo Santana is under control for those years. Malik Smith is under control for those years and Omar Nevaeh is under control for those years. And that's the idea right now. They get to a point where they have a young player like a Kyle Lewis, that's kind of ready to get that opportunity. Then maybe they go out and say, Hey, we kind of have an excess here. Let's move Domingo Santana to DH or let's trade Domingo Santana. Uh, that's all fine and, and sure, but I don't think they acquired Domingo Santana solely for the purpose of improving his stock and trading him away. I think he's a guy Jerry Depoto wants to use. Right, right. 26 years old, three years of club control. I mean, it seems like there should be a role there or could and be. And he's a not going to kill you in left field, right? Like, you right. guys have seen him. Like, you don't yeah. go, oh my goodness, Domingo Santana. I mean, it's not. He's Nelson no worse Cruz, than Ben Campbell. So, yeah. Right, he's, basic, he's basically what Denard Span did for you, right? Defensively, Defensively? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is probably better than what Healy's going to give you, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I hope so at least. Um, so um, let's go ahead and jump over to a, somebody who actually will stick in center field, uh, Braden Bishop, who I'm going to assume is the top 25 prospect you teased earlier who's going to go to japan mm-hmm. um but this summer he uh or this spring rather he's shown quite a bit of power um i mean obviously the defense and the base running are there already uh the power i i mean i nobody thinks he's going to be a 15 home run guy but i mean what are you seeing jace this is a guy that you've probably seen quite a bit i would imagine so mm. is there some kind of change that he's made or is it just just random <laughs> No, he's he's made some adjustments and they've kind of been slow um, as he's done it, which is the right way to do it. When when you're in college and and you're at a place like the University of Washington, um, it, you know you're using the aluminum bats, you're playing in the cold weather, and you're batting near the top of the lineup because you're a sixty or seventy runner. You're probably laying down some bunts. You don't really spend a whole lot of time uh, working on like swing mechanics. If it's working for you, just let it roll. Mm-hmm. And so he gets out of college at 22 years old, gets to pro ball, and runs into some it runs into some issues that he'd never run in, into before, like getting to velocity above the hands, um, uh, hitting 89 mile an hour sliders on the outer portion with two strikes. I mean, these are things that he's never had to plan for before. So the setup, the swing, all the mechanics have never had to cover any of that before. So it's taken him a couple of years. And, and this has been my knock on, on Braden so far is that he's a little older. He's 25 years old already. And while 
I'm being told he's probably going to start the the, the season uh, with the club. He's going on the trip to Tokyo. I don't know how long that lasts. He he right. for me he needs time in AAA. He only had a, a little less than half a season or about a half a season last year in Double A before he got hurt. I don't think he's big league ready. Uh, I don't think he's uh, keep him on the roster, give him somewhat regular at bats, major league ready. Is he good enough to? Uh, serve as an extra guy for a week or two while Malik Smith, you know, gets ready. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. is because he can play center field. He can run. He'll make enough contact and he can bunt. He's just not going to kill you. So uh, with Bishop in terms of uh, mechanics, he's, and, and again, he's always been a speed and defense guy, but he showed a little bit more in about a half a season last year than most people expected um, it average bat speed, but there's a little bit more intent now. So he's generating some leverage that he wasn't generating before. You can hit a ball 110 miles an hour, but if you don't hit it with leverage and loft and create that launch angle, you're not going to hit home runs. Mm-hmm. Well, you've seen a couple of home runs this spring and, and at least one of them, I can remember one of them, you know, pretty clearly was just a line drive shot that took about two seconds to get out, right? So he's still not creating a lot of loft, a lot of leverage, and you don't really want him to do that because if he misses a little bit and doesn't catch the barrel, he's just going to fly out a lot. So he kind of turns into, uh, you guys remember like uh, uh, the Rich Amaral, the Alex Diaz, the Doug Strange types from that 95 team, or or a Mark McLemore, Stan Javier, those kinds of guys. Where the swing works for them, they catch the barrel enough and when things really work out, they'll hit a home run. So in a good year, Macklemore was going to hit, what, 10, 12, 14 home runs? I think that's Braden Bishop. And I think the adjustments that he's made the last year and a half, two years, have really opened that up for him. Because otherwise, he was going to be a guy who had to hit 300, who had to draw more walks than he'd ever drawn before, to even have a shot to play regularly. Because it, it, at, at the time, it was he might hit five home runs if he's lucky even though he was 6'1", 190, 195 pounds. The swing just wasn't there. And the bat speed isn't so good that it's just going to make up for stuff. So he's found, I think he's found a range where, hey, there's some intent there. I'm going to try to punish the baseball. And the swing plane allows me to hit the ball out of the ballpark when I really catch it good. So if you were to tell me that Braden Bishop got 600 plate appearances at the big league level this year, I don't know that he'd hit more than 250 with a 300 on base percentage, but he might hit 10 home runs which makes him a very useful player. Uh, mm-hmm. Really curious to see how he works through some things once he does get down to AAA, because I don't expect his stay in the big leagues to be extended. So while we were recording, the dream is dead. Dustin Ackley has been released. <laughs> oh. oh, no. I thought he was going to play third base. Oh, that's a bummer. You, you um, kind of have to wonder... How much longer Dustin Ackley gives this a go? Yeah. You really do. I just, uh, man, I remember being so excited. Uh, I remember his first single off of Roy Oswalt, line drive right up the middle. I like, I was so excited and so ready for Dustin Ackley to be, you know, Chase Utley light. And it just, man, that that's such a disappointment. <laughs> I've never seen a player, guys, that mm-hmm. made a transition in one aspect so seamlessly and easily, even though it never really looked right to just make the move from playing center field and first base in college to playing second base in pro ball so quickly and so easily yet not make any of those fixes at the plate. I don't think <laughs> I've ever seen that before. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm thinking about guys that prominent players that have changed positions over the years 
You know, you, you think about guys like Dale Murphy. You know, Dale Murphy was a catcher. Cal Ripken was initially a third baseman and then moved to shortstop. He really hadn't played tons of shortstop and made that transition and hit. Now, we're talking about some of the better players we've seen in the last 30 or 40 years. Robin Yao was an MVP at shortstop, moved to center field, was an MVP there. But for a guy like Ackley to make that athletic of a move, yet not be able to make really any significant adjustments at the plate to allow his hand-eye coordination and his bat speed to take over is really baffling to me. And there were there was a lot of time there late in his Mariners career where it was about being frustrated yet stubborn. And I just wonder if he ever ever got over that. And if he did, what the reasons are why he couldn't make an adjustment that that worked for him. There's no reason athletically or skills-wise. Like I'm saying, he has as good a hand-eye coordination as you will ever see in any sport. It is ridiculous. You could throw pebbles at him and give him a branch, and he'd probably make contact on every single one. But when a guy throws an 89-mile-an-hour splitter, he's lost. It's just the strangest thing. Uh, it, it's one of the most baffling things. Uh, I've ever seen with a young player at very worst, Dustin Ackley should have been Dave Magadan and he wasn't anywhere near. He was the exact opposite. I'm going to hit for a little bit of power when you, you didn't expect me to hit for any, and I'm absolutely going to give you no batting average and no on base percentage while I'm pulling out a, a below average second base grade It is one of the most baffling prospect player development situations I've ever seen. And to be honest with you, as much as I'm on the old Mariners regime, for their player development being awful and being a bigger reason than the drafting and the scouting for a lot of their young players, uh, not, not panning out, not turning out, not getting better and becoming viable big leaguers, let alone all-stars and superstars. I really think this is as much on Dustin Ackley as anybody else. That's just the instinct I have based on some things that, that, that were shared with me, uh, based on talking to Dustin a couple of times while he was in Tacoma, um, in, in, uh, I believe it was 2013 when I finally sent him back. Um, I just got the impression that he knew what he was doing and just needed to be left alone. Well, did that ever change? I don't know that it did. It, it's sad. Uh, I hope he catches on. I hope he continues to play, scratches out, you know, somewhat of a career for himself the rest of the way. But, uh, that one will baffle me for a long, long time. Right. Somehow it's so, the Mariners' fault they didn't draft Mike Trout, though. But whatever. <laughs> Even though 20-plus other clubs right, also exactly. did not draft Mike Trout. Exactly. <laughs> you, know, you guys know who the, I, the, the Padres took at number three that year? We're talking about the 2009 draft where Steven Strasburg was far and away 1-1. And Dustin Ackley was the industry consensus number two. Right. See, I don't even make a mistake in taking Dustin Ackley. They couldn't develop him, or maybe it's Ackley's fault, whatever it is. Number three, do you guys remember who the number three pick in that draft was? Uh, Donovan Tate, I yeah. think. Oh, yeah. nice. Good People don't really rip the Padres for that pick. Why? Right. Why aren't they like, oh, they could have had Trout. Imagine if they had Trout now and Manny. Like That would be the right. conversation, right, that the Padres have Mike Trout. A lot of clubs didn't draft Mike Trout. So Seattle didn't make a mistake there. That was just one of those things. Mike Trout. I remember talking to Tom McNamara about, about that. I think I've shared this before on the podcast. It, it was just one of those scenarios where you loved the tools, but you just couldn't do it at two. You couldn't give that guy six or seven million dollars. That's just how it was. He could have turned out like Donovan Tate for all they knew. They're right. watching a guy in, in Jersey. Games get washed out. The competition's not good. It's pure tools. He could have turned into Anthony Hewitt for all they know. I don't know if you guys remember Anthony Hewitt, but he was just this raw, unbelievable athlete. I think the Phillies took him 
uh, back in about 04, 05, 06, somewhere in that range. And he never turned into anything at any level. That was the, uh, the, the thing that kind of scared clubs away. Like how, how good is this, this guy in terms of baseball skills? Cause we don't get a chance to see him a lot. His games got rained out. He's the best fastball he saw during his senior season was about 87 miles an hour. They just had no idea how those tools were going to translate. They just didn't get a big enough look at him. Um, so I remember Tom talking about that. It's like, God, you, you like him and you wish you drafted 14th or 18th or, you know, 30th and, and, or you got a shot at him in the second round or whatever it might be, because that's a guy you'd like to add to to your organization. But at number two, there, there was just no way. I and mean, the conversation just did not last very long. It was about Dustin Ackley and negotiating the deal for Dustin Ackley the entire time. And unfortunately uh, that didn't work out. Unfortunately for Seattle, unfortunate for Dustin Ackley. Yeah. All right. So we have uh, one last prospect that we want to uh, get your opinion on, and that would be uh, Logan Gilbert, who made his, uh, I mean, more or less his Mariners debut at any level. Uh, what was it on Saturday? Um, Jason, what did you see from Logan Gilbert? I know the uh, the stat line wasn't pretty, but uh, mm-hmm. what did you actually see stuff wise from Logan Gilbert? Yeah, I saw a pretty good, pretty good fastball. I was told he was up to 95 in that outing, 93 to 95. There was some life on it. Uh, obviously a little rusty, a little out of whack. Hadn't really pitched a whole lot except in bullpens and, and a couple of, uh, a couple of minor league games up to that point. Um, I, I think the question with Gilbert is, you know, two things. And I think it starts with the fastball because it, his sophomore year, he was 94 to 97 more. And last year, early in the year, there was a lot of 90, 91, 92. And clubs were like, wait, is this a big horse that throws 95 or is this a big horse that throws 91? Well, later in the spring, he started throwing 93, 94, 95, 96 again. So Seattle was kind of sold at that point. Like, hey, maybe he was just overworked a little bit. Um, They weren't going to use him a whole lot last summer after they signed him anyway. And then he got mono, uh, so he didn't pitch at all. But I think the question is, can he sit 94 or is he going to be a guy who sits 90 to 92 and touches 94 because sitting 94 uh, or 93 or 95 or whatever it is, is a lot different than sitting 91. And mm-hmm. you're, you're certainly more likely to get swings and misses off your fastball. And if you're a starting pitcher who has a repertoire that can get you through six or seven innings and it starts with a fastball that gets swings and misses, you're, you know, and I mentioned this on Twitter the other day, you're starting from a really, really good place. And the belief is that Logan Gilbert is that guy. Uh, he's got two breaking balls, curveball and a slider. I think we saw the curveball uh, in that outing, in the spring outing. Some clubs like the slider better. There are times where the two pitches kind of look the same. So there's a chance what Seattle has done or is doing with Gilbert is say, hey, let's find one of these that you really like and stick with it and not really throw the other one and then just go fastball the one breaking ball and the changeup. But there were times where his changeup uh, last spring was his best pitch. So there's a lot to like there. It's it's a big, strong guy who you hope can give you 220 innings and kind of be your, you know, whether he's a number one or not, probably really doesn't matter a whole lot. Uh, a guy that can give you well above average uh, runs allowed type numbers, a guy that can get you strikeouts, and a guy that can get beyond six innings. Um, and he's probably within two, two and a half years of the big leagues as long as he stays healthy. A uh, lot to like there about Logan Gilbert. Can he be effective if he lives at 91? Effective, yes. But we're then we're talking about um, putting a lot of pressure on command. Right. And then and then it kind of brings us back to the sad Felix conversation. If you're going to throw 89 and your right. two-seamer is going to be trash, you have to be so fine with your pitches 
so mm. fine with everything else you throw. And you can't go into a start where one or more of your pitches just don't feel right. You don't have that luxury anymore. Mike Leak, when Mike Leak doesn't have his breaking ball, he's garbage because then he's mm-hmm. just two-seamer changeup. And he'll just get raked over the coals. And we saw that some last year. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why Mike Leake's ceiling is that back end, you know, kind of middle to back end innings eater, 182 innings type guy. And he was really never, ever going to be anything but that. Um, so if Gilbert's more of a 90, 91, 92 guy, you're really talking about a number three or a number four guy, most likely. But uh, we saw up to 95 in that outing uh, over the weekend, and uh, uh, the Mariners are pretty sure he's a guy who can live 93-plus. That's the conversation that I'm having uh, with guys in and out of the organization that have seen him this spring. Um, They feel pretty confident he's going to be able to live at 93-plus. And there's really no reason not to to buy that, because even in his bad bad games uh, last spring, his, his lower velocity games, it was 90, 91, but a lot of 92 and 93. And then later in the spring, his last like six starts, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of 91, 92. It was a lot of 93, 94, 95. And I believe his last start of the year, there were tons of 96s and 97. So uh, Seattle was excited about that. Other clubs were excited about that. So uh, Seattle pulled the uh, uh, pulled the string on that one and, and took Logan Gilbert. Now, um, I mentioned this in, in the PDF that I sent out uh, with my rankings in it. I actually think Logan Gilbert could end this season as the Mariners' number one prospect. And that includes Jared Kelnick. There is a chance. Now, I wouldn't bet on it, but there's a chance Gilbert ends up number one because Kyle Lewis going to have to perform. We still haven't seen it yet. We've just seen a short spring. Sheffield probably graduates, right? Mm-hmm. Justin Dunn's got questions. So what if Gilbert like starts the year at West Virginia, makes eight or ten starts, skates through that league, goes to the Cal League, dominates a little bit, ends the year with like 16, 18 starts and 115 dominant innings? Boy, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to look at that profile. I'm going to look at Logan Gilbert's profile as a 22 year old kid just drafted in 2018 heading into 2020 outside shot. He cracks the big leagues. Wow. So th- there's an outside shot, a non-zero chance that Gilbert ends up being the number one prospect heading into next season. Now, Jared Kellenick will have something to say about that. So we'll see how that pans out. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, Gilbert's a good guy to have. I have him at number seven right now. And when you have a guy like Gilbert with that kind of upside, 6'6", 225, uh, I think he's still 21 years old, uh, potential 70 fastball, uh, two potential plus secondary pitches, and fringe average command already as he enters pro ball. Um, that's that, that's pretty nice to have at number seven. So uh, the Mariners are in good shape there. So real quick, uh, what have you uh, what have you seen out of uh, Kikuchi? Hmm. I like Kikuchi. Don't you guys watch Kikuchi and just say, yeah, this guy's going to get big leaguers out. Like, yeah. like the deception, uh, the fastball has some ride. Uh, lefties are going to have a tough time with them. Uh, the slider is going to be tough for lefties. He seems really good at uh, coming in on right-handed batters. Even if he's mm-hmm. not getting strikes, he's at least showing righties, hey, I can throw my slider here. I can throw my fastball here. And I'm not afraid to hit you. I'll throw it high and tight. I'll throw it right at your hands. Uh, I think Kikuchi is the quintessential number three starter on a really, really good team that has a really, really good rotation. Like if you were the Yankees or the Red Sox right now, Kikuchi at number three is perfect. That's a perfect type guy to have there. A guy that's a little quirky. He's a little different than your other guys. 
Um, you know, he'll touch 95, live at 92, uh, throw a few different pitches that, that other pitchers don't from angles that other pitchers don't. Um, that really sets up a, uh, uh, a bullpen situation. You get Kikuchi for six and, and you have a lead that sets your bullpen up for, uh, what I call the look advantage because nobody in the Mariners bullpen has any kind of similar look as what Kikuchi brings to the table. So uh, let's say the Mariners are facing the Red Sox. Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts and, and those guys have seen Kikuchi with the hesitation and hiding the ball and, and cutting the ball and, and putting the extra spin, you know, when he gets ahead in the count. Um, and then all of a sudden you're going to, you know, Corey Guerin out of the pen who likes to slingshot it from the right side. I mean, those are the kinds of advantages that, uh, that good teams see and good teams try to put together. And that's going to be really tough for even good hitting clubs to deal with after Kikuchi has a successful start. I really like Kikuchi. I think he's a three with a chance to be a two. Um, I'm kind of interested to see how the, the Mariners kind of, you know, work the, uh, the workload thing here and kind of handle that. Uh, what I've been told is they're going to short script him quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, which means he's going to throw an inning or two, going to throw 15 to 30 pitches and then get out. And that's going to be his turn in the rotation, which causes some problems for the rest of the pitching staff. But I guess if you're going to do that, this is the year to do that. Um, but once he's going every fifth day, um, you know, next year, I'm really curious to see what happens. I have no doubt that, that he's at, at very least a mid rotation guy. And we're going to see some games where he looks better than that. We're going to see some games where Kikuchi goes six and strikes out 10. And we're going to see that, um, he can be dominant at times. A lot of fun to watch. Uh, very smart pitcher likes to ask questions and you guys have probably seen all the social media with him out there. He's a character and a personality too. I think Seattle's going to love him. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of his uh, of his uh, role in the uh, the commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Very crafty. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, that's that's a great commercial. But uh, anyways, we've we've had Jason now for a little over an hour, so I think. We're going to go ahead and we're going to do some rapid fire questions here and get him out of here because he's been very generous with his time. Um, so I guess, well, I have a two, three questions here. So Ty, I'll start with you. Um, do you have a, a dark horse pitching prospect? This is from Chris O'Day um, at Golf Coast, uh, Golf Coach O'Day. Is there a pitching prospect that you, uh, you're you going to be watching closely this, this uh, summer? Is this a Mariners uh, specific question or is this MLB wide? It doesn't specify. I'm going to assume Mariners, but uh, we'll go both. We'll go both. Okay. I'm a big fan of uh, Damon Cassetta Stubbs. He's in my mm-hmm. top 20 mm-hmm. without having thrown much in pro ball. He's a little raw, um, but you're talking about a 6'4, 6'5, 210 pound guy with athleticism. Uh, that his velocity spiked late last spring. The Mariners stayed on him, got him late. I think they got him for a little over 300,000. Uh, I think this is the kind of pitching prospect that can make differences uh, in a farm system and in a major league organization down the road. Um, the folks that I talk to love the breaking ball. I uh, think ultimately it's going to be more of a slider than a, than a curveball. Um, you know, he's kind of starting from scratch at this point, but, but I, it, it, within the Mariners organization, I really like Damon Cassetta Stubbs, um, MLB wide, uh, a guy that I've been talking about a lot lately is, uh, uh, Hector Perez, um, 22 year old in the, uh, in the Blue Jays organization. Um, he's somewhere in the Blue Jays top 20. I don't know where, probably somewhere in the middle. Um, but this is a guy whose velocity 
probably dictates what uh, what his prospect status is. And when I say prospect status, I mean what all the non-professional folks think about him, you know, like you mm-hmm. and me. Um, because there are times where he's, you know, 92 and there are times where he's 99. And there were – he hasn't pitched a whole lot. Um, I think he was uh, – I think he's been in – the big leagues for four years now. And I think he's competed in three of them. Uh, last year split time between uh, I believe three completely different uh, uh, leagues and two different organizations uh, originally with the Astros. But this is a guy who could just blow the fastball by you. And I, mm-hmm. I like starting there with guys when, when talking about upside because it just takes so much pressure off the breaking ball and a changeup. And he's already a guy who, again, 65-70 fastball, already has an average slider, already has an average curveball, already has a splitter. We're not talking about a guy that you have to relegate to the bullpen. So uh, I keep an eye on Hector Perez uh, in the Blue Jays organization. So my my pick would be, uh, and I want to ask Jason about this, uh, Darren McCacken. Mm-hmm. So Jason, so Jason, what have you seen with Darren McCacken? Because he's kind of a guy that had a sneaky good year last year. Um, isn't really a whole lot of flash, but seems to get guys out. And um, yeah, and didn't really uh, pop up on a lot of radars last year. I think what's interesting here is that the Mariners have decided we don't have to throw this guy in the bullpen yet. I mean, we're talking about guys, what, he was 22, I think 20, 23 sometime this spring. I believe I have a yellow over his age, so I think that means he's going to turn 23 sometime before the season starts, um, which is is really interesting that he's still in a rotation because when you look at some of his, his starts, when you look at some of his game logs, it's three walks and four innings. It's four walks and five innings. It's six walks and four mm-hmm. and a third innings. Um, so there's some concern there that he can't keep his delivery together. Um, but we're not talking about a real big guy. We're not talking about a guy with long legs, long levers. Um, this might be a scenario where, and I believe he's a Long Beach State guy, so probably coached really, really well. What was he, a 12th round pick two years ago? Yeah. Yep. I think so. Yeah. So uh, we're talking about a guy who was coached well, uh, athletic. At some point, the athleticism is going to take over. But I do wonder at what point don't they say, hey, you know what? He spent last year in the Cal League um, for the most part. I, I think they actually called him up to Tacoma to fill him in for a little bit. But he spent right. the majority of the year in the Cal League. Uh, he's missing some bats. Uh, and generally, he's, he's he's pounding the strikes on and throwing strikes. But occasionally, it'll just like go away. The command will just go away. His control will just go away. And he'll just start walking guys and 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 kind of pitch himself into really, really short outings. Uh, if efficiency ends up being a problem, maybe they throw him into the bullpen, speed up his delivery a little bit, and try to get him to 96. Because he's more of a low 90s guy right now, and I know in the past he's touched 95, but those are only in short stints. So uh, he's a really interesting guy. I just wonder if, uh, and, and it is kind of a cop-out, I will admit. Uh, I always think it's a cop-out when I go, yeah, but he's a reliever. Because just about every pitching prospect ends up being a reliever. I mean, right. it, how many of these guys that are throwing 95 and they get drafted, they get signed for seven figures, they get into pro ball, and they can't hack it, 90% of them end up going to the bullpen and becoming some kind of a reliever. It's a middle reliever or an elite closer, whatever. I mean, Edwin Diaz is the perfect example of that. Third-round yep. draft pick, you know, he started for a couple of years, elite reliever. I mean, this is what happens. So it's a really easy thing to just throw the reliever tag on somebody. But for somebody like Darren, at some point you want to give him the best opportunity to help your big league club instead of just, you know, kind of living well, well, you know, we still think maybe he can start. Well, at what point don't you just say, well, if we throw him into the bullpen, he might be able to help us next year. 
because that's exactly what the Mariners did with Edmund Diaz. And I just wonder mm. if McKagan's one of those guys. Uh, not a not a big time ground ball guy. He's a an arm side ride kind of fastball guy. Uh, Changeup needs some work, but he likes to throw it. Um, you know, something you can work with. A, a real interesting kind of. Uh, 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 pitching prospect where you don't really pay attention to him until he gets to triple A and he's striking out 10 guys per nine innings in a relief role. Um, so I, I think if he's a big leaguer anytime in the next two years, it's in relief. But, uh, you know, even if that's the plan for a guy like him, there's still no harm in letting him start right now. Like if he's going to start to in double A Arkansas, there's no harm in letting him go five, six innings at a time, especially if you've talked with him and said, hey, we think your future might be in the bullpen. Let's start working on these five or six things. But for now, you're still going to start. So you're going to get 20 or 25 batters a game to work on these things. There can be advantages to that. And he might be one of those candidates. Interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would just add that uh, on the Mariners side of things, I agree with Jason. Damon Concetta Stubbs is a guy who uh, last year I went from never hearing of to about a month after he was drafted, ranking him seventh. I had him mm-hmm. in the Mariners system. Uh, this year he came in at 15 or 16. Um, you know, I just, I think there's a lot there to like, I think the slider is going to, I think the slider is going to play up the mid nineties fastball with some run to it. Um, I, I can't remember exactly who it was, but somebody reached out to me and they threw out a comp of Derek Lowe, um, longtime Red Sox, uh, mm-hmm. sinker baller. And, uh, I, I, I think there's something to that. So, uh, I would if say you can teach, stubs. If, if you want to teach cassette stubs to throw that heavy sinker, then, um, I'm all on board with that comp. Otherwise, they're entirely different guys. Derek okay. Lowe just had that heavy sinker. It was natural. There was almost no effort to it. He could do it in his sleep. He could probably roll out of bed tomorrow <laughs> and throw an 86-mile-an-hour sinker that a major leaguer can't do anything with. Right. Um, that, that's, kind of, that's a tough – So, but if you're just looking for a roll mm-hmm. and maybe that kind of impact, sure, there's some upside there. But right. in terms of the type of guy, yeah, Derek Lowe is pretty unique. That That's a pretty okay. tough one to, uh, to comp. Derek Lowe was – I remember when I was first getting into the business, Derek Lowe was pretty good. I mean, that was that that, yeah. that early uh, 2000s uh, Red Sox team. Lowe spent some time with the Dodgers. Um, every conversation I had about underrated starting pitchers was just go get Derek Lowe. You know exactly <laughs> what you're going to get out of Derek Lowe. You right. know exactly uh, how often you can rely on him for how long. He's going to be worth every penny. Uh, that was Derek Lowe. So that's a, that's a pretty steep comp. But if you want to teach uh, – uh, we can get together with the Mariners and try to teach cassette stubs <laughs> that heavy sinker. I'm all, I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would hope the Mariners would have more qualified people than me uh, working with their pitchers. So, uh, but yeah, <laughs> so uh, yeah, cassette stubs is is the guy that I, I'm definitely going to watch. Uh, keep a close eye on. Uh, keep an eye on Wyatt Mills too. By the way, I know he's not yeah. a starter, but this is a guy who, when he's right, uh, throwing from that angle w- with that kind of stuff up to 96 with some sink. Mm-hmm. Um, and a pretty good slider. He could find his way into the big leagues this year too, and be a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, Wyatt Mills was the uh, was the money saving uh, selection um, the year the Mariners splurged for Sam Carlson, and it was like, eh, they gave up a bunch of talent to go get Wyatt Mills. And while that's true, it looks like he's going to be a big leaguer, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I actually uh, I actually got to talk to Wyatt Mills when he was playing for uh, the Yakima Pippins here in the, uh, oh, the nice. college, yeah the college league up here. So. Uh, yeah, uh, White Mills definitely got to watch in the bullpen. little Joe Smith profile with White yep. Mill. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so um, another question we have. Uh, let's see, at Seattle underscore zero nine uh, sends us a lot of questions. Really good, uh, really good uh, 
contributor here to the uh, community. Um, he wants to know who's going to be the biggest surprise in 2019. I'm going to assume he means Mariner, uh, 25-man roster type of player. So uh, you guys have anybody that you think is going to surprise fans, uh, maybe just kind of the average fan with how good they are? If Jay Bruce is a two-and-a-half-win player, does that surprise you guys? Yeah. Man, I think Jay Bruce is going to be a two-and-a-half-win player. Yeah, I, I could see it. I, he's done it in the past. Last year was, what do you have, a hip injury? Um, yeah, and he was just lost. When, when the yeah. Mets are awful, guys. If, <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> and hopefully that culture's changed over there, and, and Robinson Cano will help adding some stability to uh, to that everyday lineup. But that organization is a complete freaking disaster. They they had no clue what they were doing. The fact that they've made the playoffs with some of the players that are currently on the roster is a freaking miracle. And I give all the credit to the field staff and the players, none of the credit to the front office or just about anybody else in that entire organization. I know people that work in that organization that are telling me, Oh my God, this is a, you know, a bleep show. Like they want to get out of there. So, so hopefully that's changed for them. But, uh, uh, Jay Bruce had no help. You, you struggle like that. Uh, you sit out because you're hurt. You get back. There, there's no help there. There's no, uh, there's no support. So hopefully he has that this year. Hopefully he's healthy. And I think, you know, I think we're talking about a two to three win season from Jay Bruce. I mean, we're not talking about a 36 year old guy, right. early thirties. He's not in the greatest shape in the world. He, he, he does need to stick in right field or, or at first base DH, but, uh, I don't see why he can't go out there and hit 270 with, you know, 15, 18 bombs. Nice. Time. Yeah, I yeah. For me, uh, you know, I've said this on past prod- podcasts. I, I'm I'm a really big fan of Omar Novaez. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, the the defense is a bit of a question, but you know, it, you know, we've heard some things about the the White Sox organization with their catchers and what they necessarily teach them or don't teach them. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, you know, there's a bit of that. So there's you know, there's a learning curve for him. But I think if he if he becomes a um just an average defensive catcher i think with that offense uh you know clearly there's some issues with the splits but you know his, his bat is uh is pretty real and uh i'm i'm excited to see what he can do um this year but i i think he could be a pretty uh pretty solid contributor to the to the mariners this year I think we're going to see a career high in home runs from him and a career high in slugging percentage from him. I believe his career high is 429. I think that was last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're seeing um, a trajectory here with that. And a lot of it's just with the swing. And even though he's going from uh, the band box in Chicago to Safeco Field, um, you know, he's going to get at least 100 games in. So playing time is not going to be a thing. So he's probably going to get at least as many, if not more, uh, at bats. Uh, I would think more. I mean, what do you have? Under 300 at bats last year. I know he walks. Yeah, some, so 322. 320. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to get 400 plate appearances, right? At yep. least they're, they're probably going to try to run him into the ground. Mm-hmm. They don't have anybody else to give the ball or to, to, to give the gear to, 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 to send up there to play. I mean, Narvaez is going to get at bats. You might even see him get some at bats at the DH if they're able to clear out some of the, um, the clutter at, the, at those spots. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at his year last year, only played 97 games. He was a 2-1 player. Yep. Um by uh, you know, by Fangraphs mm-hmm. metrics. So, uh there's a there's a lot to like there. Uh a lot to like in the bat, a lot to like even even though that he hasn't uh been the best defensive catcher, a, lo- a lot to like there considering that there is room to grow and that he does have some uh some nice tools to work with. There is some truth to the whole White Sox are kind of clueless with catchers thing, by the way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Tyler Flowers. Yeah. He was one of the worst catchers 
most scouts had ever seen defensively. Just wow. Just no skill, like just no ability, hands terrible. And he certainly didn't get better in Chicago. But he goes to Atlanta and is a viable catcher for a team that ends up winning a division. Like that's pretty crazy. So maybe that tells us all we need to know about how good or bad, bad the White Sox are <laughs> with, um, with developing catchers. What I don't know is, are the Mariners any good at it? Right. I don't know if the Mariners are any good at it because Zanino did most of that by himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just that good. A lot of it was just natural. He understands the position, was going to pick up things here and there. I mean, I don't know. I don't really know if there's a guy in the system or uh, the Mariners have a system for for teaching catchers that's kind of inherently better than other clubs, but I, I guess we'll find out. If Narvaez is still terrible in a year, either Narvaez is lazy or the Mariners aren't any good at it either. Well, you know, I, I, I wrote an article about a month ago about Narvaez and kind of, you know, the potential that he has there to grow defensively. And, you know, I was looking at this interview that um, Lookout Landing did with Mike Marjima about a year or so ago. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, you know, in the White Sox organization, he didn't even know what pitch framing was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So, right. yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. It's 2019 I mean, or at the time, 2016, 2017. Right. That's just crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. I'm pretty now, sure Flowers it, ranks pretty high in the in the pitch framing metrics now, doesn't he? Right? Yeah. Yeah, it, I'm pretty it, sure he's and, and up in the top 10. that's doing with yeah. non-athletic catchers. Okay, yeah. you're not going to be great at blocking. You, you're going to rely on arm strength and accuracy to throw guys out because you're not athletic and quick. Uh, maybe your technique isn't perfect. Uh, maybe there's a hitch in your, you know, your throwing motion or whatever. We still have to find some defensive value. So you're going to call good games and mm-hmm. you're going to learn how to pitch frame. Anybody with hand strength can learn how to pitch frame. Right. So obviously they're extracting defensive value out of Tyler Flowers that the White Sox really never even thought of, which is crazy. But when a guy can hit a little, like mm-hmm. Flowers certainly can, it, it's it's amazing that they can't find some defensive value out of that. Now, it, one of the interesting things is. There's no uh, uh, there's no discernible way to quantify within player value metrics the pitch framing stat, right? Because pitch framing runs, you know, above and below don't translate the same way that you know base running and offense and 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 fielding and things like that. So uh, we may not really know how valuable Omar Navarez is, even if it becomes good at pitch framing, but. We can certainly look at that that three sixty six career on base percentage and smile, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I remember also reading um, from some of the White Sox uh, pitchers that they really like throwing to the guy. Um, they thought he did a nice job handling them. Um, and again, if he wasn't even taught what pitch framing is, um, <laughs> there, there's definitely some upside there. Uh, and yeah, just to kind of piggyback on Ty before we uh, we jump ahead to our final topic, um, you know, I I wrote a bold bold predictions piece the other day and one of them was about the number of mariners in the all-star game and keep in mind it's a bold prediction but i thought mm-hmm. omar narvaez had a pretty decent shot at making the american league all-star team uh just because salvador perez is out uh for the year so that's one guaranteed spot gone uh you know gary sanchez will wait and see but i i when i was doing research on narvaez for catchers who had uh, more than 300 plate appearances, which granted isn't a lot of them, uh, but for catchers who had more than 300 plate appearances, he was second in the American League in uh, in F WAR at 2.1, and he did that in 96 games. So I think if you give him 110, uh, there's a possibility he's a two and a half, three win player, especially if the power starts to pop and he improves defensively. So 
uh, yeah, I think Narvaez is going to be a guy that people are going to uh, be surprised. And while he's never going to be confused with Mike Zanino defensively, um, he's also probably never going to be confused with him at the plate, which is probably a good thing. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like Narvaez as well. How odd would it be if two of the three American league catchers at the all-star game in 2019 were Omar Narvaez and Mike Zanino? Because as you mentioned, Salvador Perez is out. Um, Gomes is gone. He's in the national league now, right? Am, am I forgetting the, 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 the right thing there? I, I think that's true, right? So who the hell else is going to make the all-star team? Gomes what are we in, talking about here? Yeah, Gomes is in Washington, I believe. Right. And so, Gomes was the one player who was ahead of Narvaez in F war. So, um, yeah. <laughs> who's, mean, who else is going to make Robinson Chirinos going to make the all-star team? I, I, I don't think so. I think guys with names uh, attached right. to them, guys with, you know, Gary Sanchez attached to them. Yeah. And guys that kind of build up the buzz. Yeah. I think you're right. I think, uh, Narvaez probably is a favorite. I, I, to be honest with you, after thinking about this, after this conversation, after you mentioned that, if he's healthy, I'd be a little surprised if he wasn't on the all-star team. So you might be right. The Mariners might get two because Mitch Hanager is going into. Yeah. Yeah. Mitch Hanager's he'll be the one. Is that the at limit at least. for you guys? It, it, two? Can, can we dream a little more and find another all-star or is that pretty much, is it Narvaez because, Maybe he's pretty good, at least offensively, mm-hmm. and catchers are tough to find, and Mitch Haniger's pretty good, and he was there last year. Is there any is there any any room for anyone else? I can't really Well I mean in my I could art see, of... like Go oh, ahead, sorry. Ty. No, go ahead, yeah, Ty. I could I could see maybe one of Marco or Kikuchi making it, depending on the year that maybe. they have. Obviously mm-hmm. yeah. Um we have a writer on our site that thinks that the Mariners can have two all star outfielders depending on what happens with Malik Smith and Domingo Santana. I think that's a bit of a stretch, um, you know, considering yeah, just like, just, yeah, just considering. Are we expecting, like the, are we expecting Malik Smith or Domingo Santana to be something they already haven't shown us because they'd probably have to. Right. So Warren all-star, right? Right. It, in my bold prediction article, uh, I said four. And again, keep in mind, this was bold. Um, I said four, and basically it came down to Hanniger's a lock, assuming he's healthy. Um, Narvaez is one of the guys I threw in there. Uh, then, honestly, it probably has to be either Kikuchi or Marco, or maybe both to even get close to that. So I I think, like realistically, if I'm laying money down, I would put the limit at two. Um, mm-hmm. There's just nobody in the bullpen that's going to make it. The outfield in the American League is so stacked. I just, and, you know, Malik Smith and Domingo Santana, while they're both – Malik Smith repeats 2018 and Santana goes back to 2017. They're both really good players. I just don't think they're going to have enough cachet to win any kind of popularity contest. So uh, I would say two is probably the realistic max. Yeah. I mean, like if the, if the Mariners are playing a lot of close games, like they did last year, uh, you could maybe see Hunter, Hunter Strickland get in just because saves yeah. are, are a thing that, that get guys in. But that's kind of like the only other name that I can really think of. Yeah, I I just I think two is probably the max there. Yeah. All right. So uh, last question, and we are almost an hour and a half in, but uh, really the last eighty six minutes have been a build up to one question. Uh, comes from Dan Clark, uh, <laughs> who is a friend to uh, to both of our podcasts, former writer here, a great guy down in Australia. Uh, Dan Clark wants me to get your opinion on pineapple on pizza so 
Jason, what are your takes on pineapple on pizza? Garbage. Thank you. Thank it's you, garbage. Thank you. It's trash. Come on, man. It is absolute garbage. <laughs> if I if I want fruit or vegetable, I eat a salad. It's Thank pizza you. time. Get the salad <laughs> off my pizza. Did you hear that, Dan? <laughs> Boom! I told you, fruits and vegetables Sorry, Dan, do not belong on pizza. But, uh, you know, he's probably sleeping right now anyway, right? Uh, he usually gets up about one. He used to get up at about uh, one o'clock our time, so he's probably just getting up. But right. He used to get up, and it was probably I think five or six over there. He used to get up early to record a podcast with me. Um, oh, wow. so, so yeah, Dan Dan's That's very sweet. dedicated, but uh, he also yeah, he also has some really bad takes, like uh, <laughs> pineapple, pineapple on pizza. pizza. Yeah, yeah. He also it's doesn't better. like. He also thinks Bull Durham is like complete garbage. Um, what? Yeah. So Dan's got some. Oh. He's, He's got some takes, man. But uh, yeah, Dan, you heard it right there. Pineapple and pizza is straight garbage. How do we hurt Dan, by the way? How do, how do we how do we insult him and kind of hurt him with not without actually hurting, but just kind of be like, oh, how do we hurt him? Can we trash like like how do we do it down on it? Like tarantulas are garbage. Like like what do we do? Like, how do you how do you trash Australia? I, I don't know how you trash Australia. And I don't know how you trash Dan. He's such a nice guy. Um, <laughs> right. That's what I'm trying to go after the so, country he lives in. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's I don't just want to like. Be personal. It's like pineapple is but, garbage. And yeah. that's what I could come up with is tarantulas, right? Like, yeah. I'm, a, I'm afraid of three things, guys. I'm afraid of deep water. Mm-hmm. Not in the lake, but more like an ocean thing. Put me in a small boat in the ocean. I will probably beat the crap out of you. So, you take me in shore. Uh, I don't like heights. Heights get me mm-hmm. in spiders. Ever since I was a kid, I'm like deathly afraid of spiders. So when people say, oh, Australia is so cool. You should go to Australia. Nope. Travis Blackley has been trying to get me to go to Australia for years. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm good, man. Maybe you got more spiders there than you have humans. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, the, the, yeah. I'm kind of right with you there on the, on the fears. My, my three fears, spiders, uh, heights as well. And Andrew Romine. <laughs> <laughs> we should all be afraid of Andrew Romine. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, he no, that's can't. Good. That's good. He can't hurt us anymore. So, uh, <laughs> well, where did he end up? Arizona. I believe he is a free agent. Is he not? Oh no! I Let's think he signed somewhere. <laughs> I don't I think maybe... he signs. He is with the Philadelphia Phillies. There you go. Go uh, Phillies. Maybe, maybe Jerry got the incriminating photos that Andrew Romine clearly has of him. Maybe um, Romine is just following Segura around now. <laughs> <laughs> Gene Segura is literally living my nightmare. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Gene Segura doesn't have to worry about Andrew Romine taking his or his buddy's job. So uh, maybe that's a good thing. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Dan, uh, take that. Your takes on movies and food are garbage. Your pineapple uh, take is garbage, Dan. Absolute garbage. Spiders suck. Um, something cliche about Australia. Uh, so. Dan, uh, Dan, uh, you're the, Dan, you're the worst. <laughs> How dare you? How rugby, dare you? rugby, trash. <laughs> yeah, everything that's connected to Australia. New Zealand, garbage. Like everything. Uh, okay. Yeah. You can only live in like no, we obviously of love that Dan. country. Dan yeah. has been around for a while, around the, the Twitter sphere at least, and he's been involved in the, the Mariner conversations for a while. We obviously love Dan. Yeah, of course we do. And I believe, and I'm sorry if I'm I'm butchering this, Dan. I believe he's getting married this year. Oh. Uh, I'm sorry. Or it might it might have happened last year. Uh, that's okay. We can still. You don't him. even know. <laughs> Wait a second. I, got no, the, I, guys, I knew he, guys. He got, I got engaged. The impression you guys were kind of friends with Dan. 
no, did a no. podcast with him. He woke up early. He sent you a question <laughs> that you made sure you ended with on the podcast. I, I, I kind of built right. this in my mind that you guys were kind of friends with Dan, even if you've never actually met him in person. And then you don't know if he's either married yeah, already just, or is getting married soon. Like, how does that happen? No, no, I, I know he, I know he was engaged. Uh, we don't talk frequently, but he was engaged last time we talked. And I just can't remember if the wedding was this summer or if it's next summer. Um, I see. But right. yeah, I, I assume Dan that the invitation is open that if I come to Australia, which I won't, that, uh, I can stay at your place. So, uh, it, we will, I will let you order pineapple pizza and I just won't have any. So guys um, find out when that wedding is, get him to guarantee us that there will be no spiders in the building and we'll all go down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. There you go, Dan. So let us know uh, what you think. So, uh, Jason, thanks for joining us once again. This has been a 90 minute recording session. So, uh, really appreciate you being so generous with your time. No problem guys. Hard to be talking baseball. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> thank uh, you so much. Yeah. You got it guys. Take it easy. Yep. All right, guys, make sure you, uh, make sure you, uh, follow, uh, Jason, uh, on Twitter at prospect insider. Also, uh, you can subscribe to his podcast on Patreon. We will leave a link in the description again. Well worth it. Am, am I wrong? Ty well worth the five, 10, $15 a month, uh, yeah. to get some really good Mariners baseball talk. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed this. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Soto Mojo FS uh, you can also find us on Facebook um, as well as Instagram. Uh, but if you guys want to, if you guys want to talk to us directly, uh, Twitter is the best place to do that. Um, again, at Twitter or at uh, at Twitter <laughs> at, <laughs> at Soto Mojo FS. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I know I did. I learned a lot, and I hope you guys did too. So, uh, from all of us here at SotoMojo.com, uh, you know, go Mariners, and I'll see you guys in another life. Peace. Peace.